Thank you, choir. Thank you, guys. Church, take your Bibles with me and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. As we've been in this series on the book of Acts, it's encouraging for me to hear you talk about what Jesus is teaching you through this study in Acts. I've heard a number of you share that uh, you've taken me up on the invitation to be reading through the book of Acts as we're going through it on Sunday. It's kind of the kickoff or the start for your reading for the week. And I, I heard a friend say to me this morning, he said, you know, Pastor, I, I, I've kind of adopted this approach to reading uh, through this series that I'm going to just keep reading the book of Acts till God gives me an aha moment, till he speaks to me. And I trust that God is speaking to you as we're reading through this book together. And uh, last week we took the first part of chapter 8, and this week we're going to take the second half of chapter 8. It's important to remember that this study in Acts is not just some history lesson. It's not even just some exciting stories from the birth of the church. It is absolutely vital to the church of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely vital to who God has created us to be. I want to remind you that we are a Bible-believing church, and therefore the Great Commission over here on uh, your right, my left, is set for us in God's Word. We are to make disciples across the street, across town, and around the world. And the way we do that, it's in the spirit of the Great Commandments. It's over here on my right, your left. It's in how we love God and how we love other people around us. I, I don't want you to forget that... Every time we gather like this, we celebrate God together. That's important. But if you only come on Sunday morning, if you only gather like this, that's only half of who God has called us to be. If you haven't found a a Sunday school class or a small group or a Bible study group, that's where we connect together and we care for one another. We learn from God's word and we serve somebody else. Why? Because it's a part of these two biblical mandates. As we make disciples... Here at Grace Point, we feel like that happens part in this room, but a lot when we meet in smaller gatherings throughout the week. It's intended to go give it to somebody else. That's the heart of what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's what Jesus has done inside of us that we give to somebody else. And if if we, we don't see the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we don't see that change in our life, we don't have much to give, but it's not change in our life for change's sake. It's to be an advancement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take your Bible and look with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I want to walk through this kind of quickly, and then for the most of our time today, I'll be using the paraphrase from the message of this passage of Scripture, because I think sometimes this story has become pretty familiar to us that we forget what it is and to have some fresh language to help us with the core pieces of this story would be helpful. But as I walk through it in the message, I want you to be using the translation you have in front of you. We first see that this angel of the Lord has gone to Philip and and tells Philip to go south on the way to Gaza, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This road out in the middle of nowhere. Well, who's Philip? Remember, we saw him last week. He was an example of an authentic Christian. We saw him a chapter or two before. He was one who they saw the, the very hand of God in his life. And when they needed more people to care for the widows, they elected Philip to come. So he's this behind-the-scenes leader who now is being sent out somewhere on this road to Gaza. Verse 27, so he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official 
Verse 28, he was on his way home from worshiping in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near to it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. It's almost a picture as if the chariot is, is there and he's running alongside of the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what it is that you're reading? How can I, he exclaimed, unless someone would explain it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him on the chariot. And this is the passage of scripture that he was reading in Isaiah. And so he decided to take this passage of scripture to tell him about Jesus Christ. In verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus They traveled along the road, and they came to some water. And the eunuch was so eager to express his faith, he said, Is there any reason I couldn't be baptized now in the name of Jesus Christ? And so they go, and he is baptized. That's the story that we have before us. Many of us have heard of this before, but I believe God wants to knit this together in its context. What does this have to do with all the excitement, the signs and wonders, the miracles, the fire, the power of God coming out in Acts. And now we've got this story of Philip going out on some country road, finding some Ethiopian eunuch who is minding his own business and chasing him down and talking to him about the scriptures. There's six key thoughts I want us to look at that jumped out at me from this passage. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this first one down. It's, it's this. We are called to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we are to give what Jesus has given to us, as Pastor Rex so uh, adequately prayed this morning, the love that we have received from God, we are called to give that love to other people around us. And if we are to do that, we have to first be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, it was clear that Philip had developed a keen sensitivity to the voice of God. He was following the Holy Spirit's leading, and he found himself at the right place at the right time. Listen to verse 26. It's on the screen from the message. Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, I'm sure this didn't make much sense to Philip. He had found himself. He was in the middle of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People are coming to Christ. There are miracles being done in front of him. And now God is calling him to go on this desolate road in the middle of nowhere. Leave and go walk to this place, to Gaza. He had to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, and We find that it says the Spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot, go alongside, run alongside, some of your translations would say. As I was reading this this week, it brought back to me a memory of what God put in my wife Carrie's heart as she was sharing on a Sunday night uh, a number of weeks ago. And I was talking with a friend uh, this week who mentioned how God had spoke to them through this thought. And it came to my mind again that for Carrie, when she was walking through a fast, abstaining from food, she began to hear that God would tell her that food was stopping up her ears. You know, there's good things in our life that can prevent us from hearing God clearly. There's nothing wrong with food. 
There's many good things in your life, but if they have the wrong priority, if they, they take the wrong place, it can cause us not to hear the clear voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this message today, for some of us, we're in danger of it just being a good talk because maybe our ears are clogged. I'm asking God to unpack the things that are blocking us from hearing Him spiritually. I can just hear the conversation that Philip would have had in his mind with, with the Lord, with this angel of the Lord. But God, isn't that a little presumptuous? Just to go up to this guy who's quietly reading on his own? What is he going to think of me? What if he gets offended? What if he laughs at me and thinks that I'm ridiculous? Yet that's not how he responded. His heart was sensitive and he obeyed. For us to have that kind of sensitivity, it's, it's not magic. It's not what happens overnight. But it comes from praying continually. It comes from saturating ourselves in the Word of God. It comes from letting God clear out our priorities and hear Him clearly. It leads to a, a second thought for us this morning. We're not only to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but we're to be available for God to use us. I had a friend who would say over and over, it was part of his speech pattern, my availability gives God the opportunity to do a miracle through me. My friend said it so much, it rhymed and it just kind of flowed off his tongue that it, I, I kind of stopped listening to it, to be honest. Have ever been around someone who says a phrase over and over again? It just becomes part of what they say and it kind of loses its power. But the Lord brought it back to my mind and it's a shame that it would lose its power for us. I don't care how many times we've heard it. It's true. My availability that I give to God gives him an opportunity to do a miracle through me. And it's true in your life as well. Notice Philip's response when the Holy Spirit spoke in verse 27. He got up and he went. He obeyed. Right then, he did what the Spirit had prompted. In verse 30, running alongside the chariot, coming alongside him. How many times do we think uh, in a message like this about uh, our responsibility to give the love of Jesus that we've experienced to someone else? And we may even take notes. We may even think, oh, that, that's a good idea. And a little bit later on in the message today, we're going to even jot down some names that God may be putting on our heart. We've done that from time to time. We're going to do that again. And it's good to think about it, but how many of us can make the leap from hearing God, thinking about it, and then being available to go do it, to take action in that. Picture with me this divine encounter that God set up. This Ethiopian, an important officer, he was coming back from Jerusalem. He was worshiping there. He went to a place where God would be known to be there, and he was going to worship there, and he was coming back apparently empty. His heart was still empty for the things of God. What a tragedy that would be for someone to go worship at the place of Jerusalem and worship where the center of this faith in God would be, and yet he's coming away not being filled with the news of Jesus Christ. It kind of reminded me of what happened a year or two ago. I told some of you about this. I think it bears repeating. It came time for me to replace my lawnmower, and it was time to buy a new lawnmower. And so uh, I went to a big box store. I won't tell you the name of it, though it was Lowe's. And uh, I went there, 
and I looked online. I had picked out which lawnmower was going to be the best one for me. It was the right price. It had the certain features that I wanted. It didn't have all the other bells and whistles that I didn't need. And so I knew exactly what I wanted. And because of the online inventory system, I knew that this store had the mower. And so I went into Lowe's and I saw up a couple shelves high, there was the box that I needed. I had money in my wallet. I was ready to purchase it. I couldn't get it. And so I looked around to find a sales associate who could help me. He didn't have to spend much time. All I needed was someone to pull it down, and I'm going to go pay for it and take it out. But I couldn't find anybody around to help me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in a store before. I mean, you're not trying to be overburdensome. You just want to pay for the product that they're open to sell, and you can't find anybody to sell it to you. And so I'm looking around for someone with a blue vest who can help me. And, and I finally see some guys that are kind of moving their way to the back of the store. So I kind of run after them. And I'm now left the lawnmower department and in a whole other department trying to find them. And just about when I get to them, these guys go through a door and over the top marked employees only. And I'm stuck by myself again. It, it just was as almost as if everybody around me that worked there was saying, we could get a lot of work done if the customers would leave this place. I don't know if you've had that experience before. I left and found another place and got a lawnmower, and it was not that big of a deal. It can be somewhat humorous, but how much more tragic is it if people come to a place where, where God is supposed to be there or known to be there, and yet they, they leave empty and they, they don't have what it is that they came to partake of? This is what's going on that we read about in the background of this Ethiopian's life. God saw this, and while he left the place of worship and did not receive Jesus, God brought the church, brought Jesus to that Ethiopian in the person of Philip. That's what's so powerful about what this says over here, and so powerful about what this says over here. It's not about some slogan or bumper sticker or some kind of thing to pump us up or feel good about our church. It's the very purpose in which why God birthed the church. You know, one of my favorite things about gathering like this, this isn't our idea. We didn't just get together and say, hey, it'd be kind of cool. Every seven days, we'll just kind of gather and like somebody will talk from a book and someone will sing. God ordained the institution of the church. He created it. It's a gift to us. And the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is meant to be received and to be given to others around us. And as Members of his church, for sure, when he brings people to us, we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. But friend, God wants to do in you what he did in Philip, and he wants to send you, he wants to send me out of this place to take the church, to take Jesus to people on whatever road they find themselves. Well, Pastor Brady, I, I kind of was okay with this Acts thing when we talked about waiting on God for his power. Kind of like his power. I, I was okay with this aspect of him bringing this dramatic purifying and cleansing in my heart. I was kind of good with that. And, and seeing, you know, people come to us and, and droves, that was kind of cool. I, I, I like that. That was a good thing. And, you know, last week it kind of resonated with me. There's some fake Christians and we need some authentic Christians and you need to point out the fake Christians. But this idea of, now if you're kind of suggesting that, that I should go out to somebody I'm not so sure that that's my job. Isn't that what we pay you for? Hey, friends, I need to make this clear. It's my job to go out and take the gospel to people because I'm a Christian, not because I'm your pastor. And, and, and last time I checked, 
a whole lot of us in this room call ourselves Christians, and therefore we are called by God to go out and take the good news. My role as your pastor is to equip you, to enable you, to help you take that good news. That's why we're here today. That, that's, that's why we're in this room right now. That's why God has set this message apart for this moment, to remind us that we need to hear His voice, remind us that we need to be available for His miracle that He wants to do in somebody else's life. God brought the church to, to this Ethiopian in the person of Philip. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't just this accident that he happened to be wandering down the same road. It was a divine encounter. Why God even had this man reading scripture, prompting his heart when Philip came up upon the scene. So he walks up to this chariot and he hears this eunuch reading from Isaiah. Here's another key thought for us. We see this in Philip's life and it's uh, instruction for us to take initiative in a gracious way. What do you mean by that, Brady? Well, let's look at verse 30. Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked this gracious question with some tremendous initiative. Do you understand what you are reading? What a gracious open-ended question. Philip could have tried to impress this Ethiopian with his knowledge of Scripture. After all, this was his territory. He knew Scripture. It's kind of like being a seminary student and you're on Jeopardy and the final category is the Bible. It's your time to shine. You've got to impress everybody with what you know. But Philip knew it wasn't about impressing this man with his biblical knowledge. It was about impressing him with Jesus Christ. So he asked this simple disarming, gracious question. Do you understand what you are reading? Yet, neither do we discover Philip going to the other extreme. He didn't just try to be gracious. He didn't go to this other extreme to be afraid to even talk to the guy about spiritual things. He wasn't what I call a stealth Christian. You know what a stealth Christian is, don't you? It's the people who, who they believe in Jesus Christ or, or they think that they do, and yet they never tell anybody around them of what their belief is. And their idea is this, that my actions are going to speak so much louder than my words. Now, don't misunderstand me. Our actions must match our words. If all you do is give words and there's no actions to back up this change in your life, then it's hoo-hosh. It's silliness. But this idea to think that, you know, I'm a stealth Christian, I, I, don't, really, I don't really talk. I just do. And, and so I, I'm just waiting for that moment that someone's going to come up to me and say, you know, Brady, I've just been, I've been watching your life by what you do. And I just can't help but ask, could I ask Jesus Christ into my heart? And now do I do this by faith? And by chance, do you have like a Roman's road that you could walk me through? And could I possibly do that right now? Friends, this is most likely not going to happen. We are invited to be involved in the process to give testimony. Why would Scripture say be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Well, I'm not very good at it. Well, neither am I. It's not about what I say that convinces someone. It's not about what you say. We are road signs pointing people to Jesus. We'll get to this in a second, I think. But it's important to, I think, examine our vocabulary. I think we say this sometimes innocently. It's not intended to come out this way, but... We need to be careful with how we say this. If, if we're praying with someone to help them accept Christ, and sometimes we could say, you know what? <laughs> I, I helped him get saved. Or, you know what? I prayed him through. 
I didn't help anybody get saved. I didn't pray anybody through. Jesus is the only one who saves. I can be a road sign to point them to him. And this gracious invitation that is given, it's intentionally given, is one where the heart is focused on God, not on us. You see, sometimes we can err on being so prideful that we make our conversation about how they can be impressed with our religiousness. Other times we can be so afraid that they would be offended by anything we don't want to say anything. And friend, it's, it's neither one of these. Being over initiative involved or a lack of initiative, both of these focus on what people think of me. For example, if I want to impress you with my biblical knowledge, I'm thinking about what you think of me. If I make my presentation to my friend around me and I want them to feel like that I am an authority in this and so the focus is on what they think of me. Or if I come to the other side and say, you know what, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to turn them off. I I, I don't want to, I'm not saying to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, but we can be so lackluster. We can be so apologetic that we we are focused on ourselves. It's not about them. It's not about Jesus. It's about what they think of me. I don't want them to be embarrassed by me. I don't want to be embarrassed. And yet Philip doesn't do either one of these. What does he do? He focuses in on Jesus Christ. He doesn't talk about his tradition or his church or any he he takes the opportunity at hand to talk about Jesus. He takes initiative in a graceful way. It kind of reminds me of what I call the 15-minute rule. Now, it's not the five-second rule. The five-second rule is something totally different. I learned that at McDonald's. It's kind of gross and dangerous that if food hits the ground, you've got five seconds to pick it up and serve it before it counts as being dirty. Okay? If you didn't know that, that's McDonald's official rule. Don't let them tell you any different. I I picked it up there. But the 15-minute rule has nothing to do with that. It's totally different. If you're talking to someone for 15 minutes, could it be that if you've talked to them for a quarter of an hour, Jesus could somehow come up somewhere? Now, Now hear me. In every conversation you have, if you're only talking to someone for 30 seconds, there may not be an opportunity to give a testimony to what Jesus has been doing in your life. But if I'm talking to someone for for a quarter of an hour, could there not be a praise of what has happened in my life? Could there not be a reference to, to what I am depending on God for? Could there not be a reference to a community of faith that I'm in that is important to me because of what Jesus has done? Could there not be some kind of reference to my intent to, to pray for you or to love on you? This is taking initiative in a gracious way where I will allow God to help me to speak of what he wants me to say. The next key thought is in verse 31. Remember this question that Philip had asked. Do you understand what you're reading? This Ethiopian answers in verse 31. He answered, how can I? How can I understand this without some help? And he invited Philip into the chariot with him. This thought I want you to jot down is this. Be responsive to people's questions. Now this is super important. Don't miss this. There's a follow-up question that the eunuchs asked. He said, tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or, or someone else or some others? Philip let this man ask some questions while they sat there. He listened. He quieted his mouth and he listened. A wise person has told me, has impacted my life, said, Brady, you're going to learn a whole lot more when you're listening than when you're talking. And there's a time to talk, but there's a time to listen. 
May God help us be better listeners to Him and listeners to people around us. Too often, I think, as church people, we try to answer questions that people are really not asking. They're not asking us, could you impress me with some big theological words? Could you impress me with your construct of how you've organized your idea or thoughts of God? They're asking questions like, I have trouble with my teenager. Can you help me deal with that? They're asking questions that I... I'm in this dead-end job, and I hate every hour of it. Could you help me find some purpose in my life? I have no idea what it is I'm supposed to do with the future of my life, and I feel absolutely scared still. Could you help me with that? I have people in my life who have wronged me, have hurt me, and, and I am so wounded. Could you help me with that? Why are some people's kids appear to be normal? Why do some people have a job that they love? Why do some people appear to have everything rolled out before them? Why does God hate me? What about that? Friend, if we discipline our listening and we allow God to give us an infectious desire to care for people, we will begin to see that we have opportunities to let God do miracles through us in part by being responsive to their questions. Now, we can approach, approach people with their questions in two different ways. We can say, hey, 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 or hey, it's, it's listen to me, you dirty, rotten something, or hey, can I help you? I think sometimes our misunderstanding about sharing our faith with people is we've picked up some weird model on where it comes from. We think that it's all about this when really the model we see is this. Jesus says, would you love your brothers and sisters the way I've loved you? Would you allow the great commandments, loving God and loving others, help you fulfill the great commission? This isn't like new to us. This is God's Word. This isn't a Nazarene thing. This isn't a Grace Point thing. This is a Bible thing, friend. And this is at the root of why we call ourselves Christians. It's like crazy important for us to get this. Remember that we are secure in Jesus Christ. We need to be able to risk being vulnerable with people, to be transparent with people, to share our own struggles with them, our own fears, our own doubts with them. In fact, even give them some room, they may take some shots at us. And our our job is not to always be there to defend our reputation or our ego. God can be our defender. And sometimes we feel like we have to defend God. I need to I need to stand up and defend God. You know what? Um, God's okay without your defense and without mine. In fact, one of my favorite things to share with somebody who's deeply wounded is, you know what? You can ask God any question. You can make any statement to God, and you're not going to threaten God. In fact, sometimes we need to give people permission to cry out their pain, their hurt, their anger, their bitterness, and let God Almighty absorb that and work a miracle in their life. We don't have to defend God. We are to be there to listen and be responsive to their questions. Also, a fifth thought that Philip gives to us is a call to be intentional in our conversation. Look at verse 35. Philip grabbed his chance, the message paraphrase tells us. Using this passage, he, as his text, he preached Jesus to him. Some of your other translations say, and he took this scripture and he gave the good news about Jesus Christ. Notice, Philip, he didn't talk about religion. He didn't talk about his customs. He didn't talk about his position on some political issue. He talked about Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about anything other than that. 
Friend, can you talk to people about Jesus? Can you biblically talk to people about Jesus? Are you familiar enough with Scripture? Are you familiar enough with what Jesus has done in your own life that you could talk to people about Jesus? If you can't, let me give you a simple way to remember the key points that you can hang Scripture on as you walk through. This next slide talks about the bridge. I've shared this with you before. Navigators ministry made it popular a a number of decades ago. There's some variations of this, but it's it's simply this. On a napkin or a piece of paper or in the sand or wherever you find yourself to to sketch out what Jesus means to us. I start with this little hill on the left side and I make a chasm and then go up over to the right side. And on the left side I write a stick figure person because that's like about as good as I can do with my artwork. And then on the far right I write the word God. Because to be quite honest, we need to understand that there is a God and I'm not Him. And I am separated and they are separated from God. And what separates us, I often write at the bottom there, write sin or death. And there is this chasm, there is this grand canyon of an immense gap between us and God because of sin that leads to death. It's not on this drawing, but sometimes I'll start over here with the stick figure is, and I'll draw these little arrows, little attempts for this little man to run and jump off the edge. And we do good things to try to get to God. I'll be a good person. I'll be a a good citizen. I'll try to do good deeds. And it doesn't matter how good you are, every single person will fall into that pit of sin. You've seen this. You've heard this. It's simple. Simple, simple. You can even probably do it better than me. And, And there are scriptures that we can hang on each piece of this diagram that we're walking through. But the point is, can you talk to somebody about Jesus? Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that you have? I often will share that it doesn't matter if your efforts are causing you to leap one centimeter off the edge of that canyon and you fall down into death, or you're so good, you're, you're Billy Graham, you're Mother Teresa, and you get a running start and your efforts are so good, you just run, your feet move like Wiley e. Coyote, you leap off the edge, you go out a mile and then fall down. Every person falls into the canyon. It's not about how far you can leap, you fall, you can't make it. And then as you know, God's word We begin to see the only way to get to God is Jesus Christ. And that's when I draw the cross and say that until we put our weight on Jesus, step out in faith on Him, we'd have no way to get to God. And and you can see the rest of the illustration of what happens. But that's what Philip did. He was ready to take any text of Scripture and to point back to Jesus and give Him a reason for the hope that He has. John 3.16, Romans 5.8, Romans 3.23. There are passages over and over that we can go through, but have you familiarized yourself with God's Word, with your own experience, that you could talk to somebody? Make sure that we are intentional in our conversation. Have you done any planning? Is there anything stuck in your Bible? Is there anything that you have read to say, you know what, I believe that God may bring someone across my path. I want to practice this. I want to be prepared. Be intentional. Philip, no doubt, was intentional. A final thought from Philip is apparently he was pretty decisive in his invitation. We too should be decisive in our invitation. Philip must have closed the sale because he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water and Philip baptized him on the spot. Apparently he confessed his faith in Jesus and wanted to give his testimony in baptism. Sometimes we can wait forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never call the question. 
One of my favorite ways to graciously call the question is to say, after I've shared something like that diagram or I've had a conversation, say, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to accept Jesus into your life? Sometimes they'll have a reason. And you love on them and you keep moving forward. But is there any calling of the question? Is there any decisiveness in the invitation that we give? Well, as Pastor Edgar comes up and we transition in just a few moments, we'll be out of here and we'll be on to other tasks and responsibilities. Before we do that, we're at this point and we've just heard God's word today. I trust and hope that God's word has pricked you, has kind of spoke to you in different places, but we've just heard it and I think there needs to be some responding to God's word and today I feel like the response can happen right at your seat. And so even if you haven't taken notes, I want you to pull out a piece of paper. If you have your notes, there's five blanks right there. If you don't have notes, you can grab an envelope in front of you or a piece of paper or make a note on your phone, but I want you to prayerfully ask God to bring to your mind right now some individuals as specific as you can be you're not going to turn it into me it's not for anybody else i want it to be for you write it on your notes jot it down on your phone write it on a scratch piece of paper people to the best of your knowledge they don't know jesus christ as their lord and savior now sometimes we get worked up here i've had people say well pastor brady i don't want to judge them i don't want to say they're you're not judging them you're not saying they're a bad person you're saying to the best of your knowledge they don't know jesus And if you begin to talk to them and and you have that 15-minute rule and and you discover that they know Jesus, then you celebrate. If they know Jesus, they go, that's awesome. You love me enough that you want me to know Jesus too. But heaven forbid that we would would just kind of wallow around in this gift that God gives us of the Holy Spirit that purifies us, that gives us power when we see people coming to places where He is working, but yet we're reluctant at times to be sent out by Him to go. Now, i tell you what hit me. As I'm reading Acts, I want to be in the upper room. <laughs> I want to be where Peter's preaching the sermon. I want to be where there's droves of people coming. Who gets the assignment to go on the country road to Gaza? Talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. I'm not even sure that he wants me to talk to him. Thank God that he commanded the author Luke to make sure he didn't leave out this very important detail the reason we gather like this is so we can be scattered to go to someone else and so here I think is the take home God is longing to scatter you in the midst of your circles of influence some of us need him to pull the good things out of our ears because we just don't hear it it's really good for Ron to do it's really good for Saul to do. It's really good for Edgar to do, but not me. Someone else. I think God wants to catapult you forward in the most exciting days of your walk with Him. I'm going to tell you this secret, and then here's what's going to happen. We're going to sing a song real fast. We're going to jot down some names. We're going to pray, and we're going to high-five and get out of here, okay? But before we do that, I, I just think that for some of us, if we're not careful, we'll miss this opportunity right now. And God wants to highlight for us the very reason we gather is to be filled up to go pour into somebody else. But you'd imagine with me a raging river of water gushing through. Like, can't cross it, 
on foot kind of river. It's just gushing through. And the water is constantly coming through. It's moving debris out. It's, it's got power and it's going somewhere. I want you to contrast that with like a farm pond that has no inlet, no outlet. Its, its borders are very definite and stuff hasn't moved in a long time. You know what happens with water that stands still? Weird stuff starts to grow on it. Yuck stuff. Stink. Gross. Friends, I think some of us, if we're real honest, we get kind of stuck in our life spiritually because there's no outlet going to anybody else. And to be honest, there's real no inlet either. It's just the rain that comes down that keeps flooding us up and we just stay stuck and stinky. But I think God wants to carve open part of the banks of our life and let it flow out. And he wants to do a miracle in and through us. Here's the secret I want to share with you before we pray and get out of here. The fastest way to grow spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, listen. If you don't, like, go to sleep. The fastest way to grow spiritually is share your faith with someone else. The fastest. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've known Jesus. I don't care how many people that you have pointed to Jesus. You want to grow faster, lead someone else to him. And listen, they're going to ask you questions like the Ethiopian. And you may not know the answer. And you can say, let's study God's word together. As Pastor Edgar leads us in this song, you got full permission not to sing. <laughs> That's fun. I don't think I've said that before. If you want to sing, you can sing. But here's what I want you to do in response. I want you to jot down on a piece of paper one, two, three, five names that God is laying on your heart. And we're going to pray for them. And we're going to get out of here and go be obedient speaking for Jesus. Let's do that together as Edgar sings.